Every man needs responsibility-free time. Every man needs time in his life to throw off the weight of responsibility, you know, to not be responsible for your task list or your emails or your bank account or your wife or your girlfriend or your kids. They're just like none of it, you know, to just be out in nature where no one needs anything from you. We actually need to bake that in to our lives as men. Otherwise, you know, we become resentful and contemptuous and, and wildly aggressive towards the people that we love. Why? Because we've bought into this notion that you're only as good of a man, you're only as good as you are able to carry the weight of your responsibility. And I think that that's what's crippling so many men is that they're either carrying too much and they lack support or they're carrying responsibility that they freaking hate. My name is Johnny Elsasser and I'm a former special operations U.S. Army Ranger and tactical commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. We are on with Connor Beaton today. And Connor, I mean, you have a pretty badass podcast in your own right. Like you've been in the game quite a while. It's it's no uh, it's no feat for you to be on here talking about masculinity and men's stuff. And I'm very excited to get you on here because you do have just a deep breath of knowledge and offerings for men that you really help support them with. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And yeah, I've been running my podcast now for seven years, oh, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty wild to think. But uh, I mean, I've had Navy SEALs on, I've had Wim Hof and Gary Vaynerchuk and entrepreneurs and psychologists and just like people that I thought were really fascinating. I think I even interviewed um, uh, a couple of astrophysicists at one point and talked about like black holes and, you know, quantum gravity and stuff like that. Uh, just because I was nerding out at one, <laughs> at one point. So yeah, it's been, it's been That's a while. That's awesome. I'm so jealous because my, like my secret, like guilty pleasure is actually to listen to star talk. And I've read, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's books and like, I don't pretend to understand a lot of things, but like, I just enjoy listening to it and listening to them speak about it. Cause it's, it's just fascinating. So I'm very jealous that you had uh, astrophysicists on the show. I'm going to have to have to try to pull some of those in. Yeah, man. Well, it's, uh, it's awesome to have you on. Um, we, already have done your intro before we kicked off the show. And one of the things, because you have been around and like you've been on stages with some really well-renowned um, personal development people as well in their own right. And you've seen the field of masculinity, especially over these last seven years, really kind of shift. And I wanted to ask the question is like, what's kind of the biggest thing that you're getting asked to talk about these days with this kind of evolution or lack of evolution with masculinity that we're we're in. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, just before we hopped on, I was starting to shoot a video um about this New York Times article that had recently come out 
And because people send me, you know, articles about masculinity all the time, you know, whenever somebody writes one, maybe not whenever, I think I'd probably be inundated, <laughs> but, but usually people try and keep me in the loop. And this, this recent one, uh, this New York Times columnist wrote an opinion piece and it was titled, uh, the right is all wrong about masculinity. And it was interesting because my initial response was, this is exactly the problem in our culture right now when it comes to masculinity. This, this is a problem. This actually embodies the problem, is that masculinity has become this tool that is being weaponized in a, in a political way. And so we can't talk about what's happening with men, what's happening with masculinity, without it sort of dissolving into um, some kind of political ideology. And so what's been really interesting, you know, I've been running my company now for almost a decade. Um, I've worked with tens of thousands of guys from all over the world. I mean, men, you know, men fly from, uh, I have a weekend that I'm running next week and I have a guy coming from Australia. I have a guy coming from Ireland. So like, guys, I get to interact with men from all over the world which is very interesting um, because it gives me context for what men are going through. And we, we really do experience very similar issues in a lot of ways, regardless of the culture you come from or the background or the ethnicity or the religious preference. But what's unique, I think, about what's happening in North America specifically, it's happening to some degrees in other places, but in North America specifically, more and more, I'm starting to see masculinity at the forefront of political commentary, division, and polarization. And it, it kind of pisses me off, actually. It really, it really agitates me because there's very real problems that a lot of men are facing and experiencing. And the challenge is that we can't seem to talk about those issues without them becoming politicized now. You know, when I started, it was interesting because um, I remember when I started my company, my company's called Man Talks. And so I started it. And of course, you know, this is back in like 2014. And, you know, I would get some heat on Facebook. Like, what is this? And is this, you know, misogynistic? And, you know, men have lots of, you know, men have everything. And da, da, da. But now what's very fascinating is you put out content about men or masculinity and it basically is you know like a a carcass out on the savanna or on the sahara where you know the lion comes at it and the hyena comes at it and the vultures swoop in and everybody just sort of like swoops in and starts to shit on you know and and like share their like well no that's not the problem this is the problem it's the left's fault and it's the right's fault and you know it's conservatives it's liberals and so it, I think that's really one of the biggest challenges facing men and masculinity today is that masculinity has been co-opted and conscripted in a political ideological war that is happening within our countries. And it's happening in Canada as well. I see it happening there. So I think what's, what I'm talking about more and more now, you know, what I was really getting talked, what I was really getting asked about before was mental health problems and challenges. And, you know, I went and spoke at um, United Nations. They, uh, there was a UN women's summit. So it was like, you know, a few thousand women from around the world. And they asked me to come speak. And that was an honor. 
Uh, also, you know, just like, let's see yeah, how this yeah, goes. Yeah. A, little, a little like, oh man, let's <laughs> be little, rolling the dice. <laughs> a little edgy, a little risky. Um, but it does seem like today more and more that what I'm really getting asked to speak about are the problems and the challenges facing men. And as I talk about those issues, right, less men graduating from college than ever before in history, uh, less men entering into marriage, less men in relationships, um, suicide rates are still going up. Uh, fatherlessness, fatherlessness is is going up. So a lot of young men growing, a lot of young boys growing up without a father. As soon as we start to talk about these issues, it becomes inundated with political commentary. So you have people on the left all of a sudden shouting and you know yelling, "Well, like what about women and what about trans issues and what about LGBTQ plus issues?" And it's like, "Well, hold on." We can still talk about any or all of those things and talk about this. You know, just because we're talking about stuff that men are going through doesn't mean that we're negating things that other people are going through. So I think that's the biggest shift that I've seen happen. And it really has turned into something where men's challenges are getting talked about publicly but they're being turned into political um, pawns. And so nothing's really getting done. Nothing's really happening. So I, I think that's, maybe I'll just pause yeah, there. I, I love that. It's a great perspective. And I, I think I've been seeing quite a bit of that as well. And in that space, do you think that there, um, do you think that part of the issue we're also running up against is the fact that uh, they're positioning it? Whereas like, if you are a man talking about masculinity or opening up about some of these things that, maybe past generations of men wouldn't do, they're saying, well, stop complaining. Are you seeing that as kind of part of that angle as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that can be part of it. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think on, it depends on what side of like the political fence that you're on, you know, on the one side, like in, in my book, I wrote, a, I have a chapter called the, the myth of male vulnerability. And I talk about how men are kind of in this double bind in modern culture where if you turn on MSNBC or you know CNN or you tune into any therapeutic Instagram ca- account or YouTube account or dating account they're going to be advocating for you as a man to open up and be vulnerable and that can be met with a tremendous amount of complexity you know some people are going to tell you as a man once you start to open up and be vulnerable about your challenges and your problems um you know some people are going to tell you to suck it up some people are going to tell you to just like you know go go get drunk and don't worry about it Uh, other people are going to not know how to deal with your vulnerability and so i think it's a it's a bit of a conundrum for a lot of men who are hearing more and more and more open up and then when they do, um, you know, maybe they're told that they're complaining too much or, you know, that they just need to toughen up or whatever it is, right? And so it's a very, it's a very fine edge sword. And maybe that's the way that it's always been. You know, maybe social media and, uh, and the modern news cycles are just revealing how challenging and how complex it has been for men historically to just open up and talk about the challenges that they face. Mm, yeah. And 
there, there's a level to that as well, where I think in that vulnerability, it, men don't want to be painted as complaining. So it also holds them back. And I think that's one of the things that we have um, that kind of deters us from even following that line of sight because of the fact that we're like, oh, if I do mention these things, at one point, at what point do I sound like I'm just complaining and and putting my burdens on other people? I think men really struggle with that. I mean, have you seen that in some, a lot of the work that you're doing when you converse with men? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is we as men, we have a tumultuous relationship with responsibility. We both love being responsible for the most, for you know, many of us, not all all men, but many men love being responsible, and many men have a tremendous amount of responsibility. You know, I was working with a client this morning who you know, runs a very, very, very large company that he, you know, a family-based business. And he's got a ton of responsibility. And, you know, we started our conversation today with him talking about how overwhelmed he was feeling. And he's got good reason to be overwhelmed. I mean, this guy's running a multi-billion dollar company. He's got a family and kids that he's trying to raise. He's got a father that's, you know, getting quite a bit older, right? He's entering into the very last stage of his life. He's trying to keep his health, health in order, right? So he's like put on some weight and he's just, he's got a lot going on in his life. And what was interesting is that he did exactly what you were talking about, right? Which is he started to acknowledge how overwhelmed he has been and how overwhelmed he's feeling and followed it up promptly, immediately with, Ah, I'm just complaining so much. Like I just gotta stop. You know, I just gotta stop fucking complaining, and maybe it'll be better. And I paused him and was like, "Listen, man, it's okay for you to be overwhelmed, and it's okay for you to talk about being overwhelmed. Like you legitimately are carrying a lot of responsibility in your life. You are responsible for thousands of employees." You are responsible for their well-being. You are responsible for your children. You are responsible for your household and the income that comes into your house. You're responsible for a lot. And I think oftentimes we as men do not do ourselves, uh, we do ourselves a disservice by not acknowledging how much responsibility we're actually carrying and not allowing ourselves the the grace sometimes to just be overwhelmed by that, to give ourselves a moment and be like, man, shit, like this is a lot. And then, you know, maybe to share that with another man in our life and to say, listen, I'm feeling really taxed by what I have going on. And in sharing that, we, you know, we all, we, we allow other people to support us, but then we also honor what the truth of our experience. And then I think it brings me to my last piece, which is, Every man needs responsibility free time. Every man needs a needs time in his life to throw off the the weight of responsibility. You know, to not be responsible for your task list or your emails or your bank account or your wife or your girlfriend or your kids or your employees or just like none of it, you know, to just be out in nature where no one needs anything from you. We actually need to bake that in to our lives as men. Otherwise, you know, we become resentful and contemptuous and 
dis- and wildly aggressive towards the people that we love. Why? Because we've bought into this notion that you're only as good of a man, you're only as good as you are able to carry the weight of your responsibility. And I think that that's what's crippling so many men is that they're either carrying too much and they lack support or they're carrying responsibility that they freaking hate, that they're just like, I hate this fucking job and I don't want to show up at this job, but I'm, I'm responsible for it. You know, I remember working, I'll, I'll just wrap this up with a very brief story. I remember working with this guy who came to work with me and he's running this pretty substantial company and you know he was struggling in his marriage. He was really, really um, sort of depressed, disconnected from his wife, disconnected from his kids, didn't want to be around them uh, and was pretty miserable. And we started talking about what was actually going on in his life. And I said, just tell me, you know, break down your day for me. Tell me what happens on an average day in your life. And he walked me through waking up to going to bed. And by the end of it, I was like, it sounds like you really freaking hate your job. And he's like, yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, how do you think that that's impacting the rest of your life? And he's like, yeah, it's not good. Right. But he had bought into this notion of like, I have to carry this responsibility. And this is a very talented, very successful man who just got stuck in this rut of, I have to be here. And so, you know, I think that we as men need to take a step back sometimes and look very clearly at the responsibility that we're carrying to discern whether or not it's the responsibility that we want, whether it's the responsibility that we want to be accountable for, and maybe whether we need a break from that responsibility for even a short period of time to just see what that feels like and give ourselves room to breathe. Do you think this has been painted on men because men have been uh, told from a very early age and from uh, early times of civilization that we are the primary sacrificer of life? So it positions us that when we get to, let's say, manhood or adulthood, we've converted to being able to enjoy life to being the martyr for life. Do you think that's kind of carried forward and that's what we're experiencing with men having that mindset that you were just referring to? Yeah, I think in some ways that you know that plays into it. Um, I think from an evolutionary standpoint, we we have you know men and the male part of our species and the male part of most species plays a very specific role that comes along with a certain responsibility. I mean, you look at. I, I just watched this interesting documentary called Chimp Empire. I don't know oh, if you've seen dude, it on Netflix. Didn't Joe Rogan just it, talk about this? Yeah, he had the he had the director, I think, uh, on the show. But it's very interesting because it shows the role that the male chimps within the culture and the society actually play in terms of, you know, protecting the borders and being able to hunt food and a whole number of things. And I think from from an evolutionary standpoint, we've you know we've evolved similarly. If you look at our our history as human beings, men have historically played a specific role and that role has come along with certain burdens and certain responsibilities in terms of protecting in terms of providing i think in our modern culture that's shifted quite a bit but i do think that the the sort of innate expectations are still rooted and embedded into us you know we still expect 
ourselves as men to be those providers, to be those protectors. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, you know. Um, I want to protect my family. You know, if somebody came into my house, I would protect my family. Um, I also want to provide for my family. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that per se, but we can we can make it so much of our identity that that's that's like only who we are. You know, like I've worked with some men where their ability to provide was such a huge part of their identity that anytime it got threatened, they would either go on the attack or turn into a completely different person. You know, so I, I do think that it's, I, I do think that culturally it's very baked into, yeah, you're only as good of a man as you could be based on how well you're able to especially provide. And I think that there's a number of reasons for that. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that those were definitely, I mean, they're still within us. I mean, it's thousands of years of evolution that that's been really the bread and butter and men have been held accountable to it. And what I've seen is that a lot of guys still carry, um, because inherently with that becomes the, the ability to, uh, almost have disregard for your life and your happiness, right? Cause you have it, it, ancestrally, you had to be willing to give it all up. Like that was kind of what it is. Now, obviously with civilization, we've transitioned significantly in that role of, of what the cost really is. But I think that that mindset of sacrifice and, and what I like to refer to as martyrdom is, is still there because I, we're seeing, in my opinion, we're seeing men disregard their happiness. We're seeing men, like you said, your client, like completely sacrificing anything that causes enjoyment for him based on this function that we believe is, is uh, still this role of, of men within society, right? And that's kind of where I was looking at that like, wow, man, this is, this is something that I think has to be more of an open conversation for us men. And so my next, my next question is kind of like, do you see this at, as kind of this precipice um, with unprecedented times, the access to social media, access to large global community, all of these things, um, the safety of civilization? Do you see this as a precipice for evolution for, for masculinity in general and men? Um, and then I'll have a follow-up question for well, that's a that's a big ass question, brother. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a really big question. So I was like, let me just let Connor sit with that one for a second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, if you look at the data, forty two percent of American households, women are the breadwinner, right? right? So women are out earning men in forty two percent of American that's households. Huge. That's a no huge one's change. fucking talking about that, right? No one's talking about the fact that the majority. Almost half of American households, women are out earning their male counterparts, but we're still espousing this notion. And of course they are, right? I mean, women are out graduating men colleges um, by a lot. It's, it's actually flipped. So when you looked at, this is just a little side tangent, I'll come back to your question. In 1960, 40, I think it was 39 to 41% of college graduates were women. And today... 41% of college, college graduates are men. So it's actually flipped. It's actually reversed. And so, you know, in the 1960s, we, we you know, we, I, think, I think it was in the 1960s, I can't remember the exact date, but we passed Title IX to make sure that, you know, women could go to college and, and, uh, and to ensure that they had certain advantages in getting into those colleges so that they could get their bachelor's and master's degrees and head out into the workforce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And today, you know, you have less men going to college than ever before and, and interested in college. And there's a huge conversation about why that is. I mean, 
if I was 19 years old and I looked at college campuses today, I probably wouldn't yeah. feel very incentivized to go there. Likewise. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's a different conversation. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think when you, when you look at all of the shifts and changes that have happened, I think it's very disorienting for most men. And what I see is a lot of men, there's sort of this split happening in the sense that there's a lot of men that are trying to go back and cling on to and hold on to sort of older values of masculinity, right? It's just like, well, these are simple tenets and these are simple principles and I can hold on to these. And, and if I hold on to these hard enough, then that'll give me some direction. And then there's another large group of men who are just like, I don't know. I'm just lost entirely, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, they don't know how to def- they don't know how to define masculinity. They don't know what it means to be a man. It's just sort of rudderless and and not there. And then I think that there's a there's a smaller group of men who like yourself, and there's a ton of organizations that are out there that are trying to carve out this middle way of okay, maybe we don't need to hold on to all of these really archaic you know, ways of being a man. Some of them are good. Some of them we can keep, some of them we hold on to, but some of them aren't going to apply in today's world. You know, if you are a man who's making 150K and you fall in love with a woman who's making a million bucks a year and your primary value as a man is on being a provider, but you've fallen in love with a woman who's, you know, just crushing it, you know, in her business or whatever. What do you do? Yeah. You know, what do you do? Are you less of a man all of a sudden because this, this woman is, is like crushing it? Really? Like, really? Are you less of a man? Like, I think it's such an interesting debate and conversation to have. And so, and and I think it's only going to get uh, more pronounced, not worse. I don't think it's a worse conversation, but more pronounced as we enter into AI and we see artificial intelligence enter into our education system and we see artificial intelligence enter into our financial system and our social media systems and our political systems. So, you know, I, I do think that we are on this, on this um, precipice is the word you use, where you as a man listening to this and me as a man saying this really have to sit for a period of time and without a lot of external noise start to decide and discern what it really means to be a man at our core without all of the media garbage without all the political polarization nonsense without any of that crap to just do what we as men have always done which is one go off into the wilderness by our damn selves and sit for days with the bears and the lakes and the birds and the deer and to think and to feel and to experience and to be. And then to do that with other men, to go and be with other men and do, do things with other men that aren't simply about building a company or a business or competing in a sport, but actually being with other men 
in the ways that we've always been traveling, adventuring, maybe building something, right? But out in nature. And so I think the more that we can do that, the more we'll have some kind of a connection at our depths of who we are as men. You know, we've, we've systematically extracted initiation, initiatory experiences from our culture in the West. And men have suffered exponentially at the hands of that. A lot of men are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they've never experienced any kind of, of initiation into, into manhood. And so there's a very big question mark that looms over most men's head of how do I even know that I am not, I am a man, but that I'm maybe man enough, that I'm a man that I respect, that I'm a man that I can appreciate, and that I'm a man that has not only value to offer other people, but that I'm a man that is contributing to the people around me. Because that's a huge part of what initiation was ultimately meant to do. Of course, it was meant to confront you. Of course, initiation was meant to have you be confronted by pain and be overpowered and overwhelmed by something. There's a great quote by Richard Rohr where he says that unless a man experiences or has an experience of powerlessness, he will always abuse power. He will always abuse power. And so... You know, when we take that away from young boys, when we take away this experience of some type of initiatory experience, what we take away from him is the understanding and the knowledge unequivocally internally that he's able to be with his own power, that he's able to wield power in a meaningful way. And that's detrimental. And so I think a lot of men are trying to grapple and reconcile with their own power And in a time and an era where more and more in the future, women are going to gain more power, they're going to gain more money, they're going to gain more access, they're going to become more prominent in political systems and businesses and et cetera. Men need to understand what their own value is and power, not to spite women, (laughs) not to try and get one up on them. It's not a competition, but to actually reassert, this is my value as a man. This is my worth as a man. This is my power as a man. Hey, everyone. Want to take a quick second here and let you know about my new book, Design the Man Within. It is all about getting the everyday man the tools he needs to start becoming a better version of himself, but also becoming a man who loves himself and impacts the people around him positively. Go ahead to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. I am very proud of this book. And it was the book I needed years ago when I started my journey. And so I hope that it can be that door opening book for every man out there to start his own personal journey with tools and tips that I've used to help grow through some of the darkest times in my life to become somebody who looks at the man in the mirror and loves who he sees. So make sure you head over to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. Yeah, this this lends to a great conversation because I haven't really visited on the show yet with the implication of how society is evolving with the inclusive uh, inclusivity of AI, right? And, and how that's further going to change what society looks like. And we, you talked about that a little bit, but even with your last comment of how women are continually gaining that and with the aspect of they're gaining 
all of those features of what men used to provide back in the archaic, you know, version of of tribes and our early developmental stages as, as civilization, they're being relieved of having to rely on men for those, and therefore they're able to have all of those benefits without having a man be the one that provides them to them, right? So from even from security, right? Like, I mean, in reality, if we look at most Western cultures, the the chance of you being the victim of a violent crime or any type of physical crime is not extremely high. Um, and so when we look at that, that protection piece is even being taken out and it's also replaced by law enforcement and laws, right? So like we've we've kind of removed some of this in the sense of, now, as we start to evolve or as we look at the evolution of masculinity and men, this conversation of like, where is our power? Where's our sovereignty? Where, where's our individuality as men becomes a prominent conversation because it now has, it has to, it literally has to change from the old archaic way of being a man. So hopefully I summed up a little bit of, of kind of like what you were saying. And in my own words, that, that's how it made sense to me and is very beautifully said by you. So thank you for that. And on top of that, as we look at that, um, with the conversation of, you know, rites of passage, I'm a big advocate for this. Being former special operations, doing the life that I've done, I've had my different rites of passages, right? But when we open the door for the collective men, especially in Western culture, to do rites of passage, when I look back ancestrally, it was very easy for us to do rites of passage because we were tribal, right? We were very small communities and it was very homogenous. And we all had one goal. The goal was literally to just survive, right? So rites of passages are, are, and they're still apparent in those tribes that, that we can look at that are part of what we consider third world countries because they are homogenous, they're very tight, and they have a single belief on what a man is doing and what a woman does for the existence of that tribe. But as we've become this melting pot of different cultures, different religions, different just in general life belief systems, I think that de- has deteriorated the the um, aspect of including a rites of passage. And so my question to you after all this is said <laughs> is, what does that even look like for us to start to bring this into more of a mainstream purview for men to embrace themselves, their power, and this precipice of, of evolution that we're on? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I do want to say that at some point I would love to return to the AI piece and yes, the, I would too. the domestication <laughs> I would of too. men. You know, I think what it looks like is creating organizations. There's a lot of organizations out there. I mean, when I lead men's weekends, my weekends are designed around the arc of initiation, right? There's a call, there's a confrontation, there's a dissent. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so our weekends are designed around initiation. It's not, you know, you're not putting your hand into a glove with bullet ants at our weekends, um, but <laughs> which, which happens in some drives, uh, but you're going through a kind of psychological, emotional, physical initiatory process. And there's a lot out there, you know, there's guys doing different forms, right? Guys that have been in, in, you know, special ops or, you know, former Navy SEALs that are putting programs together to give the average man an experience. I've, I've seen programs where, you know, c- civilians get to go into, uh, into prisons. Uh, and there's been a reform program within the prison where, you know, if you ever saw the documentary, The Work, which is a very interesting documentary about men's work within a prison, <laughs> which is really That's fascinating. fascinating. I have not and seen so, that. 
you can have it's it's wonderful and i highly recommend it uh, i think it's on itunes I don't, i'm not too sure else you could rent it but you know i i think it's about building out these programs so that men who are searching for them or or young men that are searching for them can source them out you know i think we need more programs for young men uh i think one of the most brutal things is just this dissolving of the Boy Scouts, you know, this place that used to be for young boys to go and learn sort of essential things for being a young man, right? And kind of getting a, a, a taste of it. I, I think, um, you know, those types of spaces and places are very important for young boys and young men to gather, to learn how to do simple things. Like my son is two years old. And I bought a tent so that even though he's, you know, he's just starting to talk this summer, we're going to camp outside because why? Because he's fascinated by the fire and by trees and by the sound of birds. He's just fascinated by these things. And I would be doing him a disservice by not nurturing that part of him. So I think that's part of it. And secondly, I think we need to provide more spaces where men can sit with elders, you know, where we can sit with elders and and actually hear from them. Because in our culture, we have a lot of what I call olders. And olders are not elders, right? They're people that you're, you're probably not going to listen to because they don't have the ex- life experience. They haven't met their own edge. You know, they, they haven't done the things that you would actually want to sit at the feet of, of them and say, tell me a story, help me make sense of life. I'm not too sure what to do with my whatever, my 10-year-old kid or my marriage or my life or whatever it is. Most, most people don't have that elder person in their life to actually go and, and sit with. And so I think we need to provide more spaces. Um, that that provide that you know that really provide this notion of apprenticeship you know and so there's not like a there's not a one size fits all it's not like instituting a national program I don't think the government should be involved with God, what I'm talking God, about God no God no <laughs> you know? it'll immediately go to shit I think I think that would probably be pretty brutal yeah um, and so. You know, I do think it's going to be what I, what I, what gives me hope for the future is that I see men coming together. I see men creating grassroots movements, communities, conversations, um, bands, you know, and, and just getting, not getting back to anything, but getting connected with one another because we, are so good at isolating. Men mm-hmm. are so good at isolating. We really have a talent for it, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Very true. And and so we we need to fight against that. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. And and I agree with you. Like that's been my conversation around this uh, whole um, initiation as well. Because I get asked this question a lot, and it's like it's it's got to kind of be more um, almost back to the tribal aspect, almost even potentially regional or even smaller than that. Because when we can create more communities that are able to impact that immediate circumference of masculinity within that space, then it'll collectively start to raise um, on a larger scale. But I agree with you. I don't think there's any real... I don't know that we could ever find a way or at least 
um, in any type of major traction, get guys to willingly take part in something that's larger than something like at a tribal space or a regional level. And so it's awesome to see you doing this work. And like you mentioned, there's there's some other men, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Bedros, they have the Modern Day Night Project, which is pseudo special operations, and they do a great job with that. Um, and there are certain areas of rites of passages that are more positive in my eyes that I think are, are going to benefit us as, as long as men keep putting themselves in there and going into those initiations. So I love that you're doing that as well. And um, in this, I do want to revisit this conversation of AI. So like, because I, I th- it's, it's, we're so close to this, man. It's like just literally like the snap of a finger and we're going to be right over this edge of AI being fully blown like integrated. We're starting to already see like drops of it. How are you looking at this in in the way of affecting men and specifically even affecting us as leaders in the men's space? How are how are we to navigate this to support men moving forward? I think one of my well, first off, I think it has the capacity to change everything. And that's not an understatement. I really mean to change everything. And 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 it can change everything in a really wonderful way. I think, you know, we could spend hours and hours talking about how powerful AI can be at shaping our our culture, at helping us solve uh, you know, genetic problems and uh health issues. And I mean the, the list is just incredibly long. And like any good tool, it can be used for bad, right? I mean, it just, it can be used for bad. And so I think for men specifically, my biggest concern is around pornography. Biggest concern, hands down. You know, I think I had a huge problem with pornography in my teens and my early 20s. It it was really a massive coping mechanism, even though I was dating and I was, you know, <laughs> I was going to say having lots of sex, but even though I was dating and having Se- lots of sex, sexually porn was still active. a big problem. <laughs> I was sexually active. Yeah, sexually, yeah. I was like, how do I say this without sounding like a freaking arrogant goof? Um, but, you know, it really was a huge issue. And it took me a very long time to kick it because it's addictive, because it is an addictive mechanism, because what happens in your brain and your body when you watch porn is very similar to like if you were to get a a bump of coke right like you get this flood of dopamine in your brain you get this hit of feel good right dopamine is the is the feel good um chemical but also the chemical of more it's the motivator motivator right and so you're motivated you're you're incentivized to do more of it and i think what's going to be really challenging with ai is that there's still the possibility of of virtual reality and secondly you know 2021 only fans was a 4.8 billion dollar industry right 4.8 billion dollar company sorry company not even industry i mean the porn the porno pornography industry is massive and who's driving that who's spending that money it's men it's a lot of young men i mean you probably remember what it was like to be 19 20 21 years old and it's just like it's a wild thing, right? And so, you know, I think what we're going to start to see is AI chatbots on almost all of those profiles. You're going to see entire profiles that are created by artificial intelligence that aren't even real, right? The photo image is going to be created. The video uh, is going to be rendered by AI. And the 
the person, heavy air quotes, that you're interacting with is going to be AI. And so a, lo- a lot of men who are already on, you know, 70% of Tinder are, is men. And, you know, of the 30% of female profiles that are out there, hard to say, but it's like four or 5% of those are fake. They're chatbots, right? They're, they're there to try and get you to their scams. So I think, you know, men are going to go on to places like OnlyFans and never interact with a real human being. They're going to go on to Pornhub and Red Hub and, you know, watch AI generated pornography and they'll never interact with a human being. And we'll get more and more and more removed from real physical human interaction. And so that's a big concern for me. I think that AI has a lot of potential, but I think that is the number one greatest adversary specifically for the minds, bodies, sexual drives, ideas, and imaginations, specifically the imaginations of young men. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head where it's going to immediately penetrate the masculine space is going to be in pornography for sure. And I, and I think even to, to further couple that, I honestly just think society may actually get a lot dumber because we're going to end up farming out. I mean, we already do. We already farm out to, to a lot to these things, right? And so like, we're, imagine now that AI is there and I don't even have to write an essay. Right, like I can, I can get an essay regurgitated to me, and then I can change a few words and and you know navigate the the things that they're designing to tell you if it's AI or not, and I'll be good to go, and I don't really have to have a knowledge base. And so I think that's going to also deteriorate um, a lot of the aspects of society as well. And I, I hope for the best. I want to be optimistic, and and then I see things like that, and I see how it's going to affect men uh, in particular with with porn. Really, it's going to, and then in general, just continuing to disassociate us. I was going to jump back in there real yeah, quick. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that AI in many ways, you know, when you go on Google, that's a, that's a search function, right? You're right. just searching for certain things. Whereas AI, it's a, it's a reasoning function. So for the first time, we'll be able to reason with a machine, right? With a, with a program, with an algorithm. And so what's wonderful about it is you'll be able to learn things much quicker. You'll have to retain less, right? So I think my wife and I have been talking about this because our son is two. We're planning on having another kid. And I'm like, this is going to change the education system in such a radical way that by the time that my son graduates high school, I mean, the majority of his education will, will kind of be obsolete, right? Because just memorizing and regurgitating as the education system has done for a long time won't be necessary. Um, so I, I think that I, I think the biggest call, what I've been talking to a lot of men about, the biggest call to action that I've had for them is, you know, if if you are in any industry whatsoever, then start to look at how AI, you know, how chat GPT, how these tools might be able to serve or support you. Because as I heard, I think it was Sam Altman or somebody say, who's very deep within the AI space. Uh, it's not, it's not humans versus AI. It's going to be humans versus humans using AI. And so, you know, I think this is one of those things where like people who adopted and adapted to computers and technology, I mean, they excelled exponentially and they ushered in a new era for humanity and they became the people that shaped what the future looked like. And I think for us as men, 
what I would just say is you can be at the forefront of what that looks like, but make sure that your heart's in the right place. You know, you can be at the forefront of making sure that our future is shaped in the right direction. And that can be a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah. So just c- coming back to that, you know, just being able to make sure that you understand the use case for these tools and how to integrate them and, and you know, how to, <laughs> how to use them in your life. Because they, they can be very interesting and very fascinating. But knowing how to use them, just like any tool, is incredibly important, right? It's like you can use a hammer very ineffectively, uh, or you can see somebody who does like drywalling, who's just, I mean, I've watched some drywallers where I'm like, man, like, how did you, like you make using a hammer look like artistry? Like, that's, incre- that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, I think this uh, all ties into a bow, kind of what we've been conversing about for the latter part of the podcast, which is you know, the evolution, right? We're looking at men, masculinity, and how we can best evolve to complement the growth of society, but also set up the next generation for success as well by finding our power, by finding that strength in in our role within an evolving society. And so I love that we kind of took a a little bit of a dive into that. And I appreciate you for bringing that up. I think that's important. Um, and man, this just, it flew by and this has been a great conversation, brother. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate jamming out with you. And I do want to actually do a service to your book. And let's talk a little bit about this. So you have your book out, which is Men's Work, A Practical Guide to Face Your Darkness and Self-Sabotage and Find Freedom. All amazing things that should appeal to every man out there. Um, can we dive just for a couple minutes into what this looks like if I'm a guy that's picking this up? And what is maybe some of the one or two biggest things you're, you're hoping they take away from this? Yeah, cool. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the book shares stories of real men that I've worked with over the years, and it shares my parts of my own story, uh, and then gives very tactical direction. And it gives uh, tactical exercises to do and questions to dig into um, because you know self-reflection is a man's best friend. Like being able to broaden your sense of self-awareness and self-understanding is incredibly, incredibly helpful. The biggest piece of it is what's called shadow work. So a lot of my a lot of the work that's in the book is rooted in shadow work. So it's in in essence, it's being able to face and learn to work with and deal with the parts of yourself that you don't like, that are unruly, that are causing a muck in your life, that are running amok, you know, causing you to lose your patience with your partner, your girlfriend, your wife, causing you to disconnect or shut down, um, causing you to act insecure, you know, or be needy. And so the main part of the book is learning how to confront and be with that shadow because on the other side of that shadow is gold essentially is your own sense of deepening your own personal power expanding your own sense of you know not being so insecure and finding a, a deeper sense of competence and confidence so that's the that's the main crux of the book and i walk through you know a, a few pretty interesting pieces uh around like your relationship to women mm. and how that shadow shows up around women because women activate that part <laughs> as most of us have probably experienced at one point or another, uh, and and really, you know, help help you as the reader, um, you know, elevate your relationship to women, but also elevate your relationship to yourself. 
That's amazing, brother. I'm really happy you put this out and giving, uh, you know, you know, men very well, you've been in the game for a while. So, you know, if you give us tactics, that's the best way to get through, right? Like give us something tangible. So I love that you put this together. I'm very excited for it. Um, also, I mean, even to pair that up with, you know, when Jung talked about the shadow, uh, most people don't address this. And, and I feel like you already have, which is beautiful, is that the fact that the shadow is, is our adult way of developing. It's a way that our psyche um, connects with how we can progress and develop, or we end up in our perpetual cycles of negativity that you, you, know, you were talking about, you're alluding to. So for all you guys out there, like this is literally the way that you're going to actually process and develop as an adult to further have better relationships, not just with yourself, but with the people in your life. So really appreciate you for putting that out, brother. Everybody go grab Connor's new book, Men's Work, A Practical Guide to Face Your Darkness and Self-Sabotage and Find Freedom. Um, obviously, he just talked about it. Sounds amazing. And it's got tactical implementation that you'll be able to immediately put into your life. So brother, I appreciate you. This has been amazing. Connor also has a ton of offerings. I can't even list them all because it would take us another 10 minutes. But please go check out mantalks.com. We're going to link all of this in the show notes. Um, to get you over there. He's got retreats. He's got one-on-one coaching. He's got community. He's got a lot of things. And he's also got his amazing podcast, Man Talks Podcast. So please check that out. Brother, like I said, um, it's amazing to have you in this space, to have you on the podcast and to be shoulder to shoulder with you trying to help men kind of find this like best life that they can available. Before I release you, before I let you go, your last question, if I can ask you is, what does the art of masculinity mean to you? You know, I think I've been exploring this question for a very long damn time. And before I even got into this, before I even knew that I was doing it, but I think in many ways, the art of masculinity is the constant exploration of our edge. That when we start to explore what our edge is, sexually when we start to explore what our edge is financially or physically or within our career our vocation our purpose that's the art of masculinity that's the core of masculinity it's that pursuit of where's that edge because when we're at our edge we are the art itself we are creating art itself uh out in the world and within ourselves and within our relationships and within our parenting and every aspect of life so I think it's at our edge. I think that's where the art of masculinity resides. I love that, brother. You, obviously, you've taken a lot of time to ha- think about that question. So that's amazing, man. That was a beautiful answer. Well, thank you again, Connor. I really appreciate your time. And to everybody listening, as always, just remember that the world deserves a better caliber of man, and it's our obligation to give it to him. All right, brother. 